0: This is episode number 32 of the Beard of Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. You can find new episodes of this podcast every Monday at thebeardofmarketers.com slash podcast. And of course, you can find us on iTunes. We're also on all the social media networks that matter, Twitter, Facebook. I think Twitter is the one you want to definitely be following us on, though. We post a lot of things there that we do not get a chance to talk about on this podcast. Tonight... We have a lineup. uh, I think we're actually going longer than we normally do with our number of topics.
1: Give me some more juicy
0: topics. Yeah, exactly. We're covering a few things with Google. We're going to be starting it off with um, some new features in Google Analytics that lets you look at some demographic data on your visitors. We're going to follow that up with Google's Matt Cutts is talking about some content and the amount of content on your website and the SEO implications of that. And iOS 7
1: reporting Google properly. AdWords versus Bing for small and medium-sized businesses. Are you missing out on some potential opportunities there and some cost differences? And lastly, wrapping up, it is the holiday season, so let's go over some cart abandonment rates, set some benchmarks, see how you stack up, and let's get ready to get our shop on because it is this tis the season. <laughs> but before we get started, as we do every week, we talk about what we're drinking tonight. Rob, what you drinking?
0: I'm trying to grow out the beard for the holiday season, as you said, so I am doing Johnny Walker black, straight, well, straight, there's some rocks in there, <laughs> you gotta cool it down, what are you doing? I'm
1: actually doing a sidecar, which is quite tasty, so gotcha. we'll tweet out the recipe for that, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> we talk, <I> think <laughs> recipe for our... mine,
0: pour in glass <laughs> at ice. <laughs>
1: Let's go ahead and get started. So Rob, kick us off. Google Analytics releases some demographic information and data in the accounts. So what does that mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So obviously Google Analytics, as it is right now, has tons of data in there that you can spend forever looking at that doesn't really matter. But now they've released some interesting stuff that I think it's going to be interesting to see the different strategies that marketers come up with. So Google Analytics is now tying in with, what is it, DoubleClick? That is correct. Double-click to get some demographic data on your visitors, things like age, gender, interests, and the categories of other websites that they're looking at and how often they look at those websites.
1: Mm. Kind of like affinity data or Right,
0: sites. yeah, I think that's what they call it. So there's a few things. To get this set up, it's actually not just by default in your account. So what you're going to need to do is update your analytics tracking code. There are a few changes you need to make over to the sort of double-click version of that. Um... You can obviously just Google this to get the specific <laughs> the specific directions. You're also going to need to update your privacy policy. Um, then you're actually going to need to go into your Analytics account and enable demographic reports. This is kind of roundabout how you have to do all this. And then finally, in your admin section, you're going to have to enable again demographics and interest reports. Once you've completed all of these things, you now you have <laughs> right. You now have the power to create segments on your visitors. That, again, allow you to break down things like age, Hmm. um, gender. uh, And I think the really interesting thing here is, like you said, the affinity categories. So categorize visitors taking into account their lifestyles. Things like music lovers, gamers, technophiles. That kind of stuff is going to be really interesting to see how you can break that down and how those people will use your site in different ways. Especially for sites like e-commerce. And that'll be interesting to see how those different categories use your website.
1: It might be interesting as well too, you know, I'm thinking as a marketing manager to use some of that information to learn about where I'm doing my placements. So if I'm serving up ads different places, uh, sometimes, you know, we pick sites because we get a lot of traffic from them, uh, but we want to know a little bit more about those visitors. So I think some of this segment data can tell us, you know, if we're running ads on, let's say like Mashable or, It doesn't matter, any site. What are the typical people that are coming in from those paths so I can craft my marketing messages to be maybe a little bit more relevant to them and maybe garner some more attention and just learn more about these traffic patterns, but also how those people perform on my site. Maybe we find that... Females or what DoubleClick identifies as females coming into my site really struggle. So how can I cater my message to be a little bit more gender neutral? Maybe I'm doing something in particular with my site that's turning off that demographic. And maybe I can't necessarily extrapolate that from just thinking through it. Maybe I need to do some usability studies or something like that. But I think that information like you talked about can be uh, very valuable.
0: Yeah, I think that is going to be one of the most, I think, interesting things to dive into to find out, okay, like men don't spend nearly as much time on our site. What does that mean? What are the implications of that? We have of low that? attention spans. Exactly. It's Especially on Pinterest. <laughs> but it's things like that that are going to be really interesting. Not- noting that the 18 to 24-year-old crowd tends to share way more often than anyone else. Mm-hmm. If you've got your funnels and event tracking set up properly, you can really get some really good information about all that. And that opens things up to making your retargeting efforts much better because you know which specific demographics buy the most or act the most on your website. I think another thing too is, you know, for guys like us who run AB tests all the time, you're really able to break down the results of those A-B tests by specific demographic and find out again, you know, like men particularly liked this version of this page mm-hmm. while women like this version. There's some really interesting takeaways you can get from a lot of that. And when you target your future advertising campaigns, you can use that information to then make those perform Absolutely. better.
1: Like if I want to do placements on different sites to know what version might work well for them. Yeah.
0: To know which kind of messaging works best. So I think you know, obviously, get out there. If you're listening to this right now, stop what you're doing. Pause it. Set it up on your Google Analytics so you start collecting that data moving forward. I
1: think we call them the Mountain Dew Crowd. If you have a tech person that you need to interface <laughs> with, you can kind of send them the instructions. I will say that for some people, if you use a lot of analytics features... I do remember when you move over to double click tracking that you do lose a couple features. I believe in page analytics gets lost, which is like the click which tracking, is yeah, which anyway. you shouldn't even be using anyways, but just make sure that you read through all the caveats of when you switch your tracker over, but we'll tweet out the link for that. But definitely some really interesting data that I think empowers us as marketers. Cause there are tools that do this things like core metrics. I know benchmarks versus some of these demographic data and things like that, but a lot of the tools that serve you similar data can be very expensive so i think Mm -hmm. it it does equip us with tools that we may have foregone in the past because of cost so check it out demographic information and analytics it can definitely give you a leg up on the competition but also give you better insight into people into your site all right the next topic that we wanted to cover google on blog spam so for a long time now i felt that (laughs) story in the in the past (laughs) There were, a long, long time ago, cue flashback effect on the uh, video, (laughs) there was a time where more content that you served to Google provided you a good SEO benefit. If you were regularly updating your sitemap and providing fresh content when the spiders were coming on, that there was a measurable SEO benefit, well... This mentality and this belief has carried on many, many years in the future and is really no longer the case. But what we have gone without, those that practice SEO on the regular kind of know this by this point. Anyways, Matt Cutts, the man that heads up the spam department and the policy department there at Google, was asked directly this question. And I think they're like weekly or bi-weekly series where they answer questions live on video about does more content provide a SEO benefit for your sites and basically what he said is strictly speaking just because you have more pages when Google comes and visits you does not mean you get any more ranking value so having a 500 pages versus 400 that does not correlate to any search engine ranking benefit however the more content that you have the more propensity that you could have to have some keyword relevance and some other things, as long as you're writing good content. But just stuffing the index with more and more pages does not necessarily inherently give you a SEO boost. So what my takeaway from that was, and which I've seen in real practice, is a lot of companies employ people to just write blogs day in, day out, because they're under this working hypothesis where they've been sold the bill of goods that just more content is awesome and it gets you. it's going to make you rank number one for everything. And that's just simply not the case. The key is going to have, and this is just one part of the SEO equation, the key is having good engaging content, stuff that's actually really well written, stuff that people share, stuff that people find valuable and actually engage with. Just having a diarrhea of content all throughout your site that Google comes and scrapes does not mean that you're going to inherently rank better. It still boils down to having good engaging content and a lot of other factors. So long story made short, stop with the block spam. (laughs) And just the amount of money that companies spend on this and the effort could be better spent in so many other areas. We have some really hard evidence now on this. So it's time to kind of mature up from some of our SEO tactics and get beyond just blanketing, carpet bombing our site with just more and more content each time, hoping that that just works out well.
0: You know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I don't know the method by which MetCuts chooses the questions to answer. This seems like one, though, that most legitimate SEOs would know the answer to. I, I mean, you know, I don't think I've heard anyone really say outright that, you know, a website that just has a ton of content just by the nature of that seems like, an authority type site by Google and would just rank in general better.
1: Right. I mean, I would laugh at your face. Right. Exactly.
0: Right. Exactly. Like if someone said that, I would sort of giggle to myself and maybe call them out in person. But
1: yeah, I mean, in a lot of the consulting that I do though, you know, when I interface with companies, it, it is still something that a lot of what I would say, maybe small to medium tier SEO companies still sell people. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a cheap service for you to offer because it's, Get, getting people to write content, you can get on like pennies for the dollar. So, me as an agency selling you on the writing, I mean, that's very profitable for me. But from a strict SEO gain standpoint, not only do most practitioners that are in the field see uh, not the direct inherent benefit of it, but you know, now we have some more clarity directly from Google. Again, writing content is beneficial, but just continually putting for stuff the, just out just for the sake of just for the sake a bunch of having of content. yeah does not mean that you're going to rank better
0: right and and you know especially with a lot of the changes to google even the intended effect of having a ton of content which would be to sort of try to rank for a lot of long tail keywords mm-hmm. if you don't have a real authority website i mean that has disappeared i mean google is not going to rank your no-name website for all of the thousands of bs content pages you have out there so right. it, in both ways it doesn't make sense to do um, so I just sort of found it interesting that he would answer what I would assume is a I think you'd be base surprised, knowledge right? level. I think <laughs> right. you'd
1: be surprised. All right. Keep that in mind. If you are someone that just employs someone just to write... Content day in and day out in the hopes of Let him go ranking. Let them go. Or <laughs> ask them what the real strategy is. Or build just,
0: links. How about that? That's, come on, that's the breach it,
1: breach it, brother. Yeah. Uh, but again, just throwing content out there and hoping something sticks to the wall is not a viable strategy and your time is better spent in some other areas. So take a look at the video. It's informative and maybe be a revelation to some of you. Anyways, moving on. iOS 7. Finally, fix your shit, Rob, enlighten yeah, exactly.
0: us. So I'm sure everyone's been aware of Google Analytics and, and Google stop sending you refer information for keywords, right? So everyone hates this. You no longer know which keywords you're getting traffic for. In a similar vein...
1: Well, not just Google Analytics. I mean... Well, E-metrics right, so platform. Every, every
0: platform, right. yeah. That's just the one I use Dan and day out. But in a similar vein, previous versions of the iOS software, so the software that runs on iPhones, iPads was actually attributing Google traffic incorrectly. So if someone on an iPhone went to google.com and searched for whatever it was, clicked on your website, in your analytics platform, it would actually show as a direct traffic visitor Mm -hmm. as if someone had just typed in the name of your website instead of having come from Google. So that was a huge issue. And obviously, I mean, there's massive numbers of iPhone and iPad users out there actively browsing the internet. And, you know, your stats wouldn't reflect how they were actually using your website and where they were coming from. So with the latest rollout of the iPhone software, which I think is, what are we in now, like a month, month, two months now? It's been out, oh, okay. iOS 7 mm-hmm. for both iPhone and iPad. Seems to be a polarizing release, but maybe they all are. Right, new design overhaul. Mm-hmm. So anyway, along with this, uh, all the apps built in and the built-in sort of search functions have corrected this issue. Gotcha. They are now properly attributing search traffic from coming from Google as coming from Google um un- unfortunately still not passing the keyword data because that's google's doing you but can get
1: it through website or webmaster tools.
0: webmaster tools right so but there's a roundabout way to get it but right. interestingly enough this is a sort of side note google's chrome app and the iphone still does not properly track <laughs> Great the job. traffic through right i wonder if that's like on purpose some sort of google stab at the iphone users so that was sort of just like an interesting yeah definitely just yeah, so I you mean, know Through some of my partners,
1: we can, uh, maybe we should, uh, it'd be interesting to put in the more you know, (laughs) sound effect, star (laughs) rising. Um, But many of my partners, I mean, iOS constitutes a segment of traffic that's worth note, and it's actually put some weight on the site. So if you notice some reshuffling of your analytics, maybe your channel data is getting shaken up a bit and again it's not just google analytics it would be really any metrics platform because they all rely on the same signals but if you have noticed a slight shake up that might be because the ios 7 fix so check out a tweet we'll do about it uh see if your metrics are kind of mirroring that and there's a uh, no reason to jump it's just a change that ios has done and is fixing up your data next topic wanted to talk a little bit about adwords versus bing for small and medium-sized businesses so That's really the niche that I particularly work in on the consulting side. And one of the first things that we do sometimes when we come in and and do a marketing plan is looking at where are we garnering our clicks from. And a lot of people uh, kind of brush off Yahoo slash Bing uh, because, number one, they don't use it, which can't blame you there. (laughs) But um, when they come from a marketing planning side, they kind of write it off as something that they it's probably not worth their time I don't use it. Maybe my eighty year old grandmother uses it. So that's kind of what we attribute to the average user. But there is quite a bit of data out there that depending on what area you work in the industry, whether that's Legion, e commerce, uh, nonprofit, any of those, that Bing slash Yahoo Bing slash Yahoo can be a good source of traffic for you. Uh, and one that is Less competitive and cheaper to acquire. So, I was reading quite a bit of articles this week on just quarterly data on Bing versus, and I'll call it Bing from here on out just to save some words. Right, for those
0: who may be confused, Bing and Yahoo are the same, are powered by the same ad platform. Okay. So, comparing them to AdWords, what a lot of the data points
1: to is one, competition is much lower for most verticals, meaning That if you are working in a very competitive ad space in AdWords, expect to pay less per click on Bing or Yahoo. Now, the trade-off there is twofold sometimes. One, your volume is lower. So as a percentage, Bing and Yahoo, I mean, the numbers are jostling around all the time, but usually constitute between, you know, 30 to more in the line of 20% of search volume. So you're it's a much smaller pie you're going after. But also on those said platforms, the average click-through rate on your ads is also much lower versus Google. Now there's probably a lot that goes into those numbers. One, how they're serving those ads versus Google, the algorithms that go into recognizing keyword relevance versus what you're bidding on, but also just the demographical makeup of people who use Bing and Yahoo versus
0: Well, I would think Google. the design element, it, right, it may be actually a big factor well. too. Google has a more optimized ad click-through design than mm-hmm. Bing does. So,
1: you know, it was kind of more of a reminder for some of the businesses out there. If you haven't really considered Bing or Yahoo uh, as a viable platform, I would say give it a chance. Um, I will say that in my own experience, there is some significant data deviation when you start going through their search partners. So for those that are familiar with running PPC ads, there is a difference when you're running ads directly on Bing slash Yahoo versus the syndicated search engines that that they power. So watch that information, but also be prepared to spend a little bit more to kind of find the mix that works well for you uh, and see how that traffic converts. And don't expect that your ads have a very similar click-through rate versus AdWords, but what you should find is your competition is a little bit less and your average cost per click is a little bit lower. So play around with Yahoo and Bing. Make sure you're, you are using enough money to kind of find a mix that works well for you or you're giving it a true test, but you might find that it is an unexpected gold mine of visitors that you previously had wrote off.
0: Yeah, I think sort of my plan always and back in the day when I was doing smaller affiliate tests and things like that trying to you know generate revenue via cpa networks and things like that was always that it was much easier to get a campaign up and running on bing than it ever was to get something running on adwords with a small budget just because of things like well I mean like you said just the cost per click being much higher on adwords and of itself was an issue but things like quality score and account mm-hmm. score and all of this stuff made it hard to just get some test traffic going through the account it was just a lot easier to do on Bing. But I think all those other things hold true. I think the another thing you're going to find is just the demographic differences between Bing and AdWords end up a keyword that maybe works really well on AdWords doesn't work at all on Bing or vice versa. Mm-hmm. You notice a lot of those types of things happening or even just niches and industries. Some work fine on Bing and you can't just monetize those in the same way on AdWords. Sure. For one reason or another, I'm not really sure what, you know. Some of those particular situations end up being. But I think, you know, for people with low budgets and are especially newer to the paid search um, game, trying to get set up with Bing first before you take all your learnings over down AdWords is probably a better, better way to get started.
1: Less daunting and can be less costly for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move on. Last topic for tonight. It is the season Mm -hmm. of Cinnamon Broomsticks. Thanksgiving is in the air and Christmas is upon us shortly. So we wanted to go over some e-commerce metrics of abandoned cart emails. Just some things to keep in mind because it's surprising to me how many people do not actually have well thought out abandonment campaigns in this day and age. Which, you know, where the technology is quite really easy to set up. So if you don't do that and you're running an e-commerce store... Come on, get with it because (laughs) it is an easy sale for me. Um, And the numbers really speak to it being worth your time. So to put some kind of mustard behind that statement, as a couple industries of note, so some of these numbers are from Sales Cycle, which uh, samples 200 of the largest e-commerce stores, so an interesting sample size. And out of the top retail segments, so you can kind of learn how to gauge yourself and where you might stack up. Travel saw an eighty-eight percent abandonment on orders, which probably is conducive to how many people comparison shopping. Checking it out, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fashion sixty-nine point eight percent, retail seventy-two percent. So looking through some of the numbers, see how you kind of stack up. I mean, it's interesting to me. A lot of the e-commerce stores that I might work with get very antsy about how high their abandoned cart rate is uh, for what they would expect i mean everyone thinks that they sell the best stuff so they're shocked when people actually don't buy from them but you got to remember that the opportunity to comparison shop is much easier online you know it's a hassle when i'm in my car it's hot here in florida and i have to drive around and kind of look for th- certain things but Uh, at the at today's day and age and the average wherewithal of the user to comparison shop online it it becomes very easy for me to kind of check out the landscape and i think that's what constitutes a lot of the abandoned cart rates but also a lot of people just do a poor job on their website so that's probably part of it as well (laughs) so take a look at some of those stats see how you stack up maybe you shouldn't be panicking as much as you do but some other interesting stats that they saw As we get close to the holiday season, 1 to 2 p.m. on average in the afternoon was prime time for people to say, I think I'm going to wait a little bit and bounce up. Yeah, which is is an interesting time. Yeah, maybe people, you know, they're on their lunch break or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of things. Lunch people...
0: break is over. I got to get out of here.
1: The <laughs> ah, boss is looking <laughs> yeah. at me. Um, but in particular, they found that on average Thursday was the most common day. Maybe people are doing that shopping right before that payday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> doing the scoping before right, payday right. and then getting yeah. things
1: set up. But as it pertains to is it worthwhile to set up some of these campaigns? Here's some numbers. Listen closely. I got my pen out. All right, so. Nearly half of all cart abandonment emails are open. 46% of cart abandonment emails are open. Damn. So number one, worthwhile. And that is a rise Q3 going into Q4. So people are paying even more attention to that. Over an eighth of the cart abandonment emails are actually acted upon. So 13%. And I would say out of most of the emails that I receive, they're really poor. So I think that some people probably could get 20, 25% in the neighborhood of that and and expect that if you're doing a a well-thought-out campaign. And then over a third of those clicks lead to a purchase back on the site. So, I mean, we're talking – this is an easy process for you to automate that you don't even have to manage day in and day out. Now, I think it's worth your time to test some of this stuff and monitor it, but this is like free money left on the table that you can easily, easily automate – but here's, here's something to a little, uh, chew on, that the AOV, so the average order value of these purchases that come in from abandoned emails, are is actually 19% higher than normal store purchases. So not only do you have this automated system to reach out to people, hey, we saw that you had a problem, uh, we just wanted to reach out and to see if we could help. Not only can you set up this automated process to kind of follow up with these users that never convert But on average, when they do come back, they actually spend more, almost 20% more than average visitors. So, if you're not, again, if you're running an e commerce store, why aren't you doing this already? Wow. And if you want to, if if you are still on the fence, here's something the last thing to chew on. On average, from these 200 top e commerce sellers, the average value that they saw returned back to the company for each abandonment email that they sent was $5. Wow.
0: Wow. Okay, are you right back. Doing I'm that? setting this up right now. <laughs> Um, wow, those are those are amazing. I think future topic, those numbers just are blowing my mind, literally. Um, I think we need to do a sort of how do you set this up? Like sure. what are some of the guidelines for these how things? How do you reel those people? How, at, right, Bing! how often do you send these? Like do you that wait a me day? me doing a fishing to... motion, <laughs> reeling it back in. Um, yeah, that is some powerful, especially as the holidays are hitting. Yeah, we definitely need to do a follow-up segment.
1: And again, like I can't emphasize, you know, abandoned cart, you need to find what works well for you, but this is automatic. This is automatic set it and money it, in your bank. Peel
0: for chicken cooker. <laughs> Those things actually do work. Side note, <laughs> and these do too. That's why I said it.
1: <laughs> so, anyways, if you're in the e-commerce space, abandoned cart emails. Number one, if you're not doing it, do it. Number two, you might want to think about how much better you could be doing it. So, not only testing your emails, your sequencing, but it's shocking to me how many companies don't do simple things like we have a form to collect people's information. They wait till that form's actually submitted to actually generate that abandoned cart record instead of once someone focuses out of that name or that email field capturing that, they wait for the form to be submitted. So they they cut their abandonment pool maybe by half or even more. So if you're already running an abandoned cart process, think about how much more smartly you could run that. Maybe run some tests on different emails, different sequencing about when you're sending out these emails. Uh, what you're messaging, but also how you're collecting that information as well. Maybe you can move email up closer in the funnel to collect that information a little bit sooner. And again, broaden that pool because, man, at $5 each email I'm sending, I'm trying to send out as many emails as I can because I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, that has been episode number 32 of the Bearded Marketers. Great range of topics, I would say, tonight. If you have a suggestion for a topic, give us a call at 904 904- 2709603. Rob waits day and night by the phone, hoping people Absolutely. call and leave your funny messages. Your, I'm lonely,
0: please call me. <laughs>
1: your topics of suggestions. If you don't want to call in, submit us a message, thebeardmarkers.com. Check the site out. We got a lot of good information. Not only a podcast, but we have Tune up videos where we take everyday websites and get our construction hats on and see what we would change for increasing conversion. Rob also puts together some great research topics in our customer insight section. Suggest topics for us to talk about. But until next time, this has been Rob and we'll see you next time.